Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan, and last year they played for the World Series. They won the World Series. But if someone would have asked me earlier that day, but the, the before the game that night, they'd said, uh, are you, hey, man, you're going to watch the World Series game tonight? One way I could have answered them is I could have said, is the Pope Catholic? Basically meaning, of course, yes, you know, of course the Pope is Catholic. Well, it's not so clear anymore. So today's episode is going to be about the current Pope, Pope Francis, and he has stirred up the uh, the Catholic religion because there are many people in Catholicism who uh, either don't accept him as the true Pope. There's all kinds of like conspiracy theories how he's not actually the true Pope because uh, some people say that he is actually teaching heresy. Um, others will say that, well, he is the Pope, but he hasn't technically taught anything ex cathedra. You know, we, I talked last week about what all the different criterion that Roman Catholics sort of put on papal infallibility. So some people say, I don't, I don't really, I'm not really comfortable with him. And a lot of the things he says is kind of, I don't know, but he's not said those things in, in an infallible proclamation based on the Roman Catholic Church. And then others uh, have trouble with some of the stuff he says because it it seems to contradict church history uh, and, and past uh, or previous church doctrines, but they will somehow twist his language to sort of make him agree. So there's there's lots of different views on Pope Francis. And so yeah, is the Pope Catholic? Who knows anymore? So I'm going to give just a, a few you know, basic examples of different controversies um, since since he's taken the papal office, and then we'll concentrate on a, on a few specific items in more detail. So if you have any questions, you can always email me bearchristianity at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram and message me there at the real bear martin and this episode of bear christianity is sponsored by car identity crisis now this week i paid four dollars and 39 cent per gallon to gas up my car and it just doesn't feel right anymore i'm beginning to think that my car is actually an electric car now thanks to car identity crisis i can get the resources i need to make this transition car identity crisis is a government-funded program to help those who have conditions such as gas price dysphoria or electric car tendencies this government subsidized program gives you money for gas as your car makes the transition to becoming fully electric sure all its parts look like a gasoline car but who's to say anymore you should have the right to make your car whatever you want it to be and the government should pay for it if you believe your car is actually an electric car sign up today car identity crisis we are the government and we are here to help this program is not available for chevy trucks details may vary some restrictions may apply all right if you were to google like problems with pope francis or something something to that effect you would come across tons of different opinions and just several examples of issues of division that Pope Francis has caused in Roman Catholicism. So I'm just mentioned there's there's a few that I I seem to come across multiple times, but there there's a ton of stuff 
out there. Uh, anyway, in one encyclical by Pope Francis, it's called Amoris Laetitia, which is translated the joy of love. There's some vague, there's very vague language uh, in this document. And the main, uh, well, one of the main issues with Amoris Laetitia for traditional you know, conservative Roman Catholics is that the Pope seems to be changing some of the, the laws in Roman Catholicism about who can receive the Eucharist. Now, that's, uh, that's communion, the bread and the wine uh, that's, that's um, taken during Mass. So I haven't talked about Mass yet, that's coming up, but uh, the, so the Eucharist or communion. And so if you are in mortal sin, then you cannot partake of the Eucharist. And so some, some people that are divorced in, in Catholicism, if you are divorced and remarried, then you are in a you are in an active state of adultery according to the traditional Roman Catholic Church. So they, those people are not allowed to partake in the Eucharist, So historically. Now, this Amoris Laetitia document has some vague language, and I, I, can, I can see what the Pope is trying to do. He's, he's essentially saying, uh, or, or, or supporters of the Pope would say, what he means is that each bishop should sort of take the, the specific example, the, the specific person into account and look at their situation and see if if they really should be denied the Eucharist or not. Okay, so I, from a pastoral standpoint, I, I can I can get that. That, you know, just because you're divorced doesn't mean you're the one who has committed sin. So somebody could have, your, your spouse could have left you, could have cheated on you, whatever, and, and you had no fault in that. Um, so there, there's a lot of there's a lot of gray areas in this, but what the what the Catholic Church wants from the Pope is clarification. So the language is so vague to the and I'm not a you know professional Roman cat I'm not a Roman Catholic I don't I don't know everything about the Church but but the the language in this Amoris Laetitia document is so vague and has caused so much division or confusion. That four of the cardinals, now the cardinals are the most senior officials, but just under the Pope, and these are usually ordained bishops. Four cardinals got together and wrote what is called a dubia. It's it's um, sort of a questioning. Um, they submitted this to the the papal office September nineteenth of two thousand sixteen, and and basically they're asking for clarification on this Amoris Laetitia document. What is the Pope actually trying to say? Now, here's the thing. They have still not heard an answer from the Pope on this question. So his most trusted officials, the highest officials in the Roman Catholic Church, besides the Pope himself, even they are needing clarification on what the Pope is actually trying to teach the Church, and he will not address it. It's, it's obvious at this point he is refusing to address this confusion. Now, I thought this the Pope was supposed to be the shepherd, the leader of the church. Uh, the reason that, the, that people fall into error, the reason Protestants have supposedly 30,000 denominations and nobody knows what the heck is going on in Protestantism is because we don't have this Pope to lead us and guide us and clarify things for us. Yet, the Pope will not simply do his job and clarify it. It's, and, and it's because a lot of people that are against the Pope, Roman Catholics, who do not believe the Pope is the, the true Pope, believe that there's an agenda. There's a, a 
liberal or leftist-leaning agenda in, uh, but among many of the cardinals and the Pope himself. And so they're trying to get this vague language in at first and then gradually over time sort of change the direction of the church. So it's a whole big conspiracy theory. Anyway, Amoris Laetitia, you can watch tons of YouTube videos and stuff on, on all the problems with that. The other one that I want to bring up is this idea of um, almost like a universal salvation that um, you don't actually have to, that the Roman Catholics shouldn't actually be trying to convert people to Roman Catholicism, that they should just sort of leave everybody alone and just let them worship however they want. So let me let me explain that a little more. First off, just some background. I do not believe this is consistent with the former teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. The Council of Florence, which is ex-cathedra, it is, it is infallible, um, in, by Pope Eugene IV, it says this, it firmly believes, professes, and proclaims that those not living within the Catholic Church, not only pagans, but also Jews and heretics and schismatics, cannot become participants in eternal life, but will depart into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. So pretty clear statement there. Um, a little bit later in history, Pope Leo XIII, June 29th, 1896, in a document called Satis Cognitum, uh, number 13, he says this, you are not to be looked upon as holding the true Catholic faith if you do not teach that the faith of Rome is to be held. Okay, so, so he's saying you're not truly Catholic unless you're telling others that they must hold to the teachings of Rome. Now, this contradicts uh, some of Pope Francis's teaching. So in a document called Evangelii Gaudium, now I, I don't speak Latin, so I could have butchered that. But anyway, this is an apostolic exhortation. And it says this at the very, at the title of this document, it says, this is by Pope Francis, and it says, to the bishops, clergy, consecrated persons, and to the lay faithful on the proclamation of the gospel in today's world. Now, somehow, still, this document is not considered an infallible teaching from the Pope. It's not technically ex cathedra. I do not know why. He is clearly writing this to the Roman Catholic Church. This is an official teaching down in writing from the Pope. Somehow, it's not considered um, uh, infallible. So there can be errors there, and, and people say, oh, the Pope can teach error, but it's no problem because it's not an, an actual infallible teaching. Now, in this document, it says this, quote, non-Christians, by God's gracious initiative, when they are faithful to their own consciences, can live justified by the grace of God and thus be associated to the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. So here we have non-Christians, they can be justified by the grace of God if they just are faithful to their own consciences. Now, this, this Jiminy Cricket uh, type of plan of salvation, you know, always let your conscience be your guide, is not just from the Pope. Bishop Robert Barron is a really popular uh, um, uh, Roman Catholic teacher, and he has a he founded this ministry. It's called Word on Fire Ministries. Now, from their from the Word on Fire website, his own website, it says this: Word on Fire founder Bishop Robert Barron is auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese in Los Angeles and an acclaimed author, speaker, and theologian. He is one of the most followed Catholics in the world on social media prompting Francis Cardinal George to to describe him as one of the church's best 
messengers. So here is one of the best messengers for the Roman Catholic Church. Now, Bishop Robert Barron was interviewed on Ben Shapiro's show. Ben Shapiro is a uh, a Jew, and he you, you've, you may have seen YouTube videos of him. He goes to different colleges and, and defends conservative values and that sort of thing. So he, he's really popular as well. Anyway, Ben Shapiro interviewed Robert Barron, and here's the clip. So let's start with the most awkward of the awkward questions. Yeah. I don't really care about this question particularly much, but I get this question a lot, which is, you know, as a Jew, how does it feel that there are other religions that don't think you're getting into heaven? So let me ask you, what's the Catholic view on who gets into heaven and who doesn't? I feel like I lead a pretty good life, a very religiously based life in which I try to keep not just the Ten Commandments, but a solid 603 other commandments as well. And I spend an awful lot of my time promulgating what I would consider to be Judeo-Christian virtues, particularly in Western societies. So what's the Catholic view of me? Am I basically screwed here? No. The Catholic view, go back to uh, the Second Vatican Council, says it very clearly. I mean, Christ is the privileged route to salvation. I mean, God so loved the world, he gave his only son that we might find eternal life. So that's the, the privileged route. However, Vatican II clearly teaches that someone outside the explicit Christian faith can be saved. Now, they're saved through the grace of Christ, indirectly received. So, I mean, the grace is coming from Christ, but it might be received according to your uh, conscience. So if you're following your conscience sincerely, or in your case, you're following the commandments of the law sincerely, yeah, you can be saved. Now, that doesn't conduce to a complete relativism. I, we still would say the privileged route and, and the, the route that God has, has offered to humanity is, is the route of his son. But no, you can be saved. Uh, even Vatican II says that an atheist of goodwill can be saved because in following his conscience, if he does, John Henry Newman said the conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ in the soul. It's a very interesting characterization that it is, in fact, the voice of Christ. If he's the logos made flesh, right, he's the divine mind or reason made flesh, that when I follow my conscience, I'm following him, whether I know it explicitly or not. So even the atheist Vatican II teaches of goodwill can be saved. So there it is. Again, the Jiminy Cricket plan of salvation. Just follow your conscience. Now, he does say that that Christ is the privileged way of salvation. That is not what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That, so then he has to nuance it anymore, and he says, well, you know, even the atheist that's following his conscience, even, even the grace he has is, is indirectly given to him through Christ. Even though the atheist rejects God, rejects Christ, rejects everything that the Bible has to say about Christ, um, but yet somehow he still gets this grace because, oh, because he's followed his conscience. And, and, internally, his his conscience is the vicar of Christ. Um, the vicar of Christ, you've heard that term before, that's the representative of Christ to the world. And that's, that's a title for the Pope. And here he quotes uh, John Henry Cardinal Newman. I've talked about him before. He's the development doctrine guy, the acorn into the oak tree guy. He says that, uh, Newman says, the conscience is this, the vicar of Christ internally. So, so God is sort of speaking to us through our conscience, even though that, that same person with that conscience is, is actively rejecting the Bible and the and the message of Jesus Christ Himself, you know. So anyway, there you go. Just follow your conscience, and and then you can be saved. Now, this is contradictory to what the Bible teaches, and and Roman Catholicism supposedly is Scripture and tradition, and so they're not supposed to be contradicting Scripture. But here, Robert Barron, uh, appointed by Pope Francis to to his position, 
is is contradicting the Bible. Now, I want to go to an example from Pope Francis himself. So this is a story. Uh, this this happened in 2018, and you can watch this video. I'll I'll put the link in the episode notes. Um, you can watch this video, and the the video is in uh, Italian. I'm guessing is what they're speaking. Uh, but so so what I did was I am using the translation given by the video, and it's it's Rome Reports, which is a news outlet evidently in Rome, and so I'm using their translation. So that that's um I do have to make that that clarification there. So the translation could be wrong. I don't know much about Rome reports, but that's the translation I'm using of this encounter with the Pope and this young child. So this is a very popular story uh, for many different reasons. So the Pope is answering questions in a suburban area on the west side of Rome. And so these children are coming up and they're asking questions. There's a microphone set up and there's a big crowd of people outside and they're listening to the Pope answer these questions. Well, this little boy comes up and he's already crying before he tries to talk in the microphone. Um, And then he, he says that he mumbles a few words and he just keeps crying. And so eventually the Pope calls him um, up and they, they take the microphones away from the Pope and the boy. And so the Pope has a, it is a very sweet, gentle moment uh, with this boy. He calls the boy up, the boy whispers in the Pope's ear, and the Pope's talking back to him. So they're whispering back and forth. No one knows um, what they're talking about. Um, And then the boy eventually goes and and takes his seat, and he's still weeping. He's still crying. And so then the the Pope, they get the microphone set back up, and the Pope tells the crowd, he says, uh, the boy's name is Emmanuel. He says, Emmanuel here has a question for me, and I asked him if it was okay to repeat it to you all, and and the boy said, yes, that was okay. So uh, the Pope is speaking all of this, but here's Emmanuel, the little boy's question. He says, my father died a short time ago. He was an atheist, but he baptized his four children. He was a good man. Is dad in heaven? Now, just to to be sensitive to the situation that the Pope is placed in, I mean, would anyone want to answer this question? Any any volunteers? Yeah, this is obviously a tough one. Um, so you need, you know, you need, you must answer this boy with love and compassion. But at the same time, you cannot contradict the the gospel. You you cannot teach error to this child. And so you want to, you know, you want to answer him in love, uh, things like there, you know, there is no mercy that is greater than God's mercy. If if anyone is going to have mercy on an atheist, it would be God. His, his mercy exceeds everyone else. Um, also, we, we can't know that guy's heart. I, I don't pretend to know this boy's father's heart or, you know, what happened right before he died. I don't know any of that. And so we we can't know all those details. So we know that he's in the hands of a gracious God, and we don't know all the details of his heart. Uh, We also know this, that God is a righteous judge. That means that no one will ever stand before God and, and hear God's judgment and think, you were unfair to me, God. Or if, if you're seeing, if your family member is judged by God, if you see God for who he truly is, when you see that and you see his judgment, no one will ever say that, God, you were unfair. That's not fair. That's not right. They're never going to say that. God is the perfect judge. So you can trust his judgment. And, and actually, having faith in God, you will agree and praise God for his righteous judgment. 
And so those are those are the things that that should comfort us. Um, but this this is certainly a difficult question. Now, again, uh, this translation is from Rome reports. But here's what the Pope says uh, to the crowd. He says, "Quote: It's nice that a son says that about his father that he was good. Do you think that God would be able to leave a man like him far from him? That is far from God." Do you think that? And the crowd says no. Then then the Pope sort of edges them on and he says, louder with courage. And the crowd, you know, says even louder, no. Then the Pope says, Does God abandon his children? And the crowd says, No. Then the Pope says, Does God abandon his children when they are good? And the crowd again says no. So he's kind of got them on this uh sort of rally cry here. Then the Pope says, Here, Emmanuel, this is the answer. God surely was proud of your father because it is easier when one is a believer to baptize his children than to baptize them when you are an unbeliever. Surely God liked this so much. And then he says to Emmanuel, talk to your dad, pray for your dad. Thanks, Emmanuel, for your courage. And then, of course, the crowd applauds and things like that. So um, people that do not know the Bible, they see this as, wow, the Pope is so loving and compassionate. What a wonderful answer. The problem is that this is contrary to what the Bible teaches. An atheist, by definition, is a person who does not believe in the existence of a God or any gods. So, what is the true gospel? Well, first, let's define what belief is. Now, in the Bible, faith, the word faith and belief are often the exact same word in the Greek. In Greek, the noun for faith is or, or belief is pistis, and the verb form is pistuo. All right? And so let me give you an example of believe and faith in the same verse, and it's the same root Greek word, but you know, but they're different to us in English, believe and faith. All right, so Romans 4, 5 says, and to the one who does not work, but believes, that, that's a verb there, they are believing, so that is pistuo, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, now that's a noun, his faith, pistis, is counted as righteousness. So believes and faith are the exact same Greek uh, root, if you will. Now, Let's let's talk talk through a few Bible verses here. So, you know, if you do not believe in Jesus, if if you're an atheist, you cannot be saved. John 3:14 through 18. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, "And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life." And then the most popular verse in the Bible, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life." For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. All right, right there, he is condemned already. We are by nature condemned. It is only through belief, faith in Jesus Christ that we have eternal life. So no belief in Jesus means no eternal life, and it means you are condemned. Now, the Pope asked this question, does God abandon his children? Now, this this puts God in a situation where the Pope is, if God 
sentences this atheist to hell, then the Pope essentially is saying that God is not a loving father, He's that, that this was an, an unjust punishment for this man. The, so the Pope is, put, is, is now uh, making a judgment, essentially telling the people the way God should judge this man. He said, does God abandon his children? Well, I would argue that the Pope fundamentally misunderstands what the Bible teaches about who is exactly a child of God. We are born children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says this. This is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Everybody. He's talking to Christians here, but he's saying, We all were like this as well. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, but essentially we were selfish. We wanted, we, we were prideful and selfish, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, John 1, 11 through 13 says this, it's talking about Jesus. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's the Jewish people. They did not, they, they rejected Christ. John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You are only a child of God if you believe in Jesus Christ. You are adopted. You are an adopted child of God, Romans 8 says, but that is through faith in Jesus Christ. An atheist, by definition, does not believe God and therefore does not believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the Pope also says he was a good man. This is a common thought among the world, that we are all good people and some people just, you know, they, they come across bad situations or it's a, it's it's um, some sort of power struggle and it's the oppressed people. And so they're good people, but they're just so oppressed that they can't help it to sin. Um, all kinds of different things. The, the general thought is that everybody's a good person and then something outside of themselves has caused them to do bad things. And that is not what the Bible teaches. In Romans 3, this is a, a long passage and I'll just make some comments along the way, but Romans 3, 9 through 28, I'll read it for you. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks. Now, in, in Paul's um, writing, in his context, Jews and Greeks, that essentially covers everybody that's living. Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks, that, that's everybody. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
everybody, no one is good. No one is seeking after God. That is our natural state. Again, like uh, Ephesians 2 says, we are children of wrath by nature. So Romans 3 continues on in verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Even if you follow your, your conscience, you will not be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through what? Through faith or belief in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified not by, I'm I'm stepping aside here, this is parenthetical, not by following their own conscience. They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is a, a sacrifice Jesus took Jesus was the sacrifice he paid the penalty for our sin so he God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus what this means the just and the justifier God is perfectly just in punishing all our sin and but he has justified us so we deserve punishment so how is God the how does he justly punish the sin that a perfect judge should inflict on us yet at the same time be loving and merciful it is in Christ Jesus so God perfectly punishes all sin but for those who have faith in Jesus Christ God places those people's sin on Jesus Christ and Jesus pays the penalty for that sin so God is both just and the justifier for those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith, meaning we can do nothing. I, I, uh, I could live my whole life and say, you know what? I followed my conscience as uh, every time. I never disobeyed what my conscience told me to do. The Bible says I still deserve the judgment of God. There is no boasting in oneself for following your conscience or keeping laws, or even like Ben Shapiro said, he keeps the Ten Commandments plus 603 commandments. He is still guilty before God. Verse 28, the the final verse in this passage, for we hold that one is justified by faith, that is by belief in Jesus Christ, apart from the works of the law. Once again, I believe the Roman Catholic Church, specifically the Pope and Bishop Barron in in this case, the Pope's appointee, they are teaching a false gospel. Now, people would say, well, these things that you've mentioned today by Bishop Barron and and the Pope, these are not ex-cathedra teachings. These are not official, infallible teachings by the Pope. Well, I would make the point, what is the point then of having a Pope? If, if If he can answer this little boy's question and be completely in error based on scripture, then what is the point of having this infallible Pope if his infallibility is basically never uh, never being exercised? Now, in the next few weeks, part of the false gospel of the Roman Catholic Church continues as I talk about purgatory next week, and then we'll get into the Mass. In closing, 
Uh, Here's a verse from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and Paul says this. Now, right before saying, um, writing this, Paul says basically, if anyone can boast in their own righteousness, in their own works, in their own good works, and following the law, it's me, Paul, because essentially he says, I was blameless according to the law. I followed all those things, all the Jewish laws and traditions. But here's what Paul says, Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's a a strong word there. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 